So it's the joy of a Christ-centered home. And so, you know, as we look into, as, as I was looking into the Word and looking into, um, you know, things to talk about joy, what we see a lot is the word blessed. We don't see so much, this is joy. In fact, when you see, or this produces joy, uh, that's sort of like a given. Uh, we, we see the Apostle Paul talking about joy, and he's talking about the joy in salvation. And we, but we see in a lot in Psalms, we see a lot in uh, the Apostle Paul's writings, we see him talking about being blessed. We see, and obviously in the, in the Psalms, we see a lot about wh- how a man is blessed and the blessing that comes in, in um, serving the Lord. And so in being within his, uh, being righteous, and in our case, being saved and being indwelled with the Holy Spirit, that blessing comes in that in our obedience as well. So we're going to talk a lot about that this morning, but we're going to talk about it in the context of, you know, all the things we've been talking about, about, you know, the, the, um, the, the Christian home or the Christ-centered home and the, um, hey, there's uh, outlines on the counter there, Andre. Yeah, okay. Um, so, um, so all the things that we've been talking about with anxiety, and we did a little bit of parenting, and we talked about fear, we talked about all these things. So hopefully as we go through these things this morning, that those will sort of gel as far as you know, how those things apply in the Christ-centered home. Because we're not going to talk, talk specifically about those things, but hopefully some of those things resonate with you over the last 10 weeks or 16 weeks or whatever it's been. So first of all, blessing and joy... Uh, you know, we find, we find that those uh, blessings that comes from obedience uh, to God's Word. And that, I hope that doesn't come as a big surprise to you that, that was, <laughs> that's a fact. Uh, but to look at a couple of, of passages on that. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, and I know some of these are going to be familiar to you, uh, but maybe pick out some that you might want to give some more attention to or give some more, maybe memorize, because... Um, a lot of these things are, especially if you have kids and you're going to start training your kids, being able to go back to these things as you are training them or giving them these things to memorize as well. Uh, you know, it's easy to refer back to things when you're doing those training sessions that we got, talked about a couple weeks ago where you say, okay, well, is that acting according to the word in this place? Well, if they haven't learned it or if you haven't learned it, you're not going to be able to address it. So as we've said, well, as I've probably said, a hundred times in this, you know, the more that we're in the Word and the more we're familiar with the Word, the more we're going to be able to train the Word to our kids, and it's going to be coming to our, our minds. And you're just going to be familiar with what you're looking for. So even if you don't memorize it, you've got Blue Letter Bible on your phone, and you know the phrase because you've read it, you know, so many times, you can look it up really quickly, and you can share it with your kids, and hopefully start remembering where things are at. That's the idea, right? So, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So we see a few things there. We see that it's not walking in the counsel of the wicked, nor standing in the path of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of scoffers. And that's what the world is around us, right? It's the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers. 
and we shouldn't be walking with them, we shouldn't be hanging out with them, and we certainly shouldn't be joining them in sitting in their seat and scoffing. And so we need to, to be purging that, uh, that, those influences as, I mean, we can't escape the world, and we shouldn't be escaping the world. We're supposed to be lights to the world. But we need to be mindful of those influences on ourselves as well as on our homes. But the opposite is true. The guy who delights, the person who delights in the law of the Lord and, his law, and in his law he meditates, meaning meditating is not just, you know, meditating and thinking. It's thinking to the purpose of how do I change and be in conformity to the word. So considering this, how do I delight in God's word? Is it, do I love reading God's word? And I think that's a lot where a lot of us fall down is we don't get into the word often enough. We don't get into the word enough that we really true, truly delight in the law of the Lord. So we see the, the, the prosperous blessing that comes from that. And of course, out of that blessing, I think we can assume that the person who is blessed is or should be joyful in being blessed by the Lord. Psalm 84, 11 and 12, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Psalm 119. Now, remember that Psalm 119, if you, if you read through the entirety of it, it's just a, an expounding of how wonderful God's Word is and how perfect and how useful it is to our lives. But it starts off, verse 1 and 2, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. In Proverbs 16, 20, he who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So he who gives attention to the word will find good. So attention, we're looking at it for purpose. We're looking at it for the usefulness of it in applying in our lives. So where does true and lasting joy spring from? So we can look at somebody and we can say, oh, they're joyful. Like we look at somebody and they're maybe happy or maybe they're feeling good or whatever. We say, oh, they're joyful. Well, it's not necessarily lasting joy. It's not necessarily true joy that is uh, ingrained in that person. So where does that kind of joy come, the true and lasting joy come from? Well, if we look at Galatians 5, 22 through 24, which is probably very familiar to a lot of you, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So in verse 24, it says those who belong to Christ Jesus. And in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. So that joy is a fruit of having the Spirit indwelled in us as we belong to Christ Jesus. So it comes, it's, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It comes out in our love for the Lord, in our, in our indwelling of the Spirit and working that out in our life. It's, it's for believers, and it's in believers. And we really should be exhibiting it as believers. You know, a lot of us, if we're, if we're given joy, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But those are the things that, when I mean, we talked before about this, in that those are uh, fruit of the Spirit that, in, that He empowers us to exhibit in our lives. 
do we always exhibit those things? Are we always joyful? Are we always, do we always have peace and patience and kindness? No, we don't, but we're empowered to do so. We are given the ability to have those things in our life by the Spirit. But those are going to come from examining ourselves, from renewing our mind by the Word, by realizing the things that we need to confess and that we need to purge from our life, that we need to mort- the sin we need to mortify, and then not only putting off, but then putting on those things that are righteous and good and honor God. We read in Scripture in Psalms and Paul's letters particularly about the joy of our salvation. Ultimately, isn't this the greatest and foundational reason for our joy? I mean, remember we looked at 1 Peter, and it's looking for the glory to come. We're looking for that glory in being perfected in Christ, in being with Christ. We're looking at that joy. Of, we can look at the trials around us. We can persevere in difficulties because of the joy that is ahead of us because we know that in the end, we are going to be with Christ, and we're going to be with Him for eternity. So Psalm 32, and uh, if you were in first service, you already heard this, because Jay said it in his prayer. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed we are when our transgression is forgiven. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. What does that sound like? It's depression. It's being down. It's being depressed. And it's being depressed because of the guilt of sin that's weighing on this person. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sins, Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. In other words, don't be stubborn. Conform to the word. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. We have reason to shout for joy. We have reason to be joyful because of being forgiven of our transgressions. There's joy. So we rejoice first in our own salvation. We rejoice first in our being in Christ, in our sins being forgiven. But secondly, as parents, what else do we rejoice in? Second thing we're going to rejoice in is the salvation of our children. We want that same thing for our kids. We should desire that wholeheartedly for our kids to be saved. Now, John in 3 John, uh, John's writing this, and he's not writing this specifically referring to his natural children. He's not writing about his actual children. He's writing about those who had been saved through his ministry. And so he was a parent to them. He was their father in the faith, so to speak. But this is so true of every believing parent, and I'm sure it's on some plaques in a lot of your houses or something uh, from Hobby Lobby or, I don't know, wherever you get those things. Uh, but Third John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. 
And isn't that a joyful thing when we see our kids sensitive to the Word, when we see our children sensitive to what, is God, what God is working in their life, when God is convicting them of, of change particularly, uh, especially if you've been training them in a certain area and they finally get it. And you're like, oh, rejoice. Now I have joy because my child has figured this out. So, but we've talked about, particularly a couple weeks ago, I think we talked about parenting. We talked about the fact that our children are our primary ministry in evangelism field. God has put us has put children in our home that are His children that He has put in our home because all things are His, and we have been made accountable, and we have the responsibility to train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. He has given us that responsibility. He has trusted sinners like us to train children that He has put into our responsibility. We read in 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5, He is talking about the qualifications for overseers or elders. It says, must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So this is just very practical. If a guy's got a messed up home, how's he gonna, how can we trust him to be a leader in the church, right? Of course, it's talking about bigger than just having a functional home. And in verse 12, it says, deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own household. So there's similar qualifications for elders and deacons in this regard. And in Titus 1.6, regarding elders again, it says, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. So talking about more qualifications. So as we've said this before in the class, uh, this is important. This is a qualification for elders and deacons. I mean, if a man fails in his home in training his kids and in, in loving his wife well and washing her with the Word, and if he fails in that area, then he's not qualified to lead. So it's important for, if it's, if it's that important for leaders in the church, then it's important for every man in the church. We can't just dismiss it and say, I'm not a deacon, I'm not an elder, and I don't aspire to do those things. Well, for one maybe should be aspiring to do that. But if I'm not, even if you're not, it doesn't matter because if that's so important for those men to be in that position, it is just as important for men to seek to do that in their own homes. Uh, why, so what, but regardless of those things, or regardless of, of what we might think about those things, why wouldn't a believing parent want their children to be believers more than anything else? I mean, why wouldn't that be the most important thing on our mind as believers? This is why we are given direct command in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That sort of speaks to the tendency of dads to sometimes provoke their children to anger, right? It's like, it's like I, love the, I love the way the Scripture is so down-to-earth and real in a lot of things. We just read it and we go... Yeah, it is sort of a tendency for guys to tick off their kids once in a while, right? Well, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's a direct command, and it's because we have that responsibility to do so as parents. Next, there's joy in the obedience of our children, obviously, right? You all say, yes, I'm very joyful when my children obey me. Proverbs 23, 24, and 25. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. 
Let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. So that's speaking to the son and saying, you know, the second part of that, let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. So remember what I was saying about family devotional time and spending some time in Proverbs is a good idea. You're going to be addressing this directly to them. You're going to be, you know, on a monthly basis, you're going to be telling them the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who sires a wise son will be glad. And then let your father and mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you rather than being sorrowful that you gave birth. <laughs> I don't think too many parents would say that. But that, you know, having difficulty having is like we, it says that let the elders serve with joy and not with grief. Same thing with parents, talking to kids. We want them to let us serve them and parent them with joy and not with grief. So how, how does that happen? Well, the goal of consistent Bible-infused, gospel-saturated training is that children who, the, you know, it would be children who love the Lord and want to please Him. And if they want to please God, that means that they're going to want to please their parents because that's going to be obedience to the Word. That's what pleases God is when they obey their parents because that's what they're commanded to do. They desire that they're going to, the goal would be that they would desire to be a joy rather than a curse to their parents. Proverbs 15, 20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 17, 25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Proverbs 28, 7, he who keeps the law is a discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. So we read these passages in Proverbs and we think, okay, yeah, the wise son is going to make his father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Or, or the foolish son, and he's, he's, going to be, he's going to cause bitterness to his mother. So children aren't naturally wise or foolish. Well, actually, that's not true. They are not, not naturally wise. They are naturally foolish. We've talked a lot about that before. They are born foolish because they're born without knowing God's Word or pursuing or wanting to please God. And without the knowledge of God, there's, there is no wisdom. That's where wisdom begins. So they are born foolish. They're born unbelievers. And so consequently, they are born foolish. So, they don't be, so even though this is saying a wise son makes a father glad, it's not that they're naturally wise or they're going to get there by themselves. We make them that way. We make them wise. That's, as parents, that's what we're supposed to be doing is instilling wisdom into them. And where is wisdom found? We just said it. It's found in God's Word. It's found in knowing Him. So that's what we're called to do. So when, it's, when these Proverbs are saying the blank statement of a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother, it's really... It's really a direction to the parents to say, you don't want to have a foolish son, so do something about it. You ought to be working to the end that they will be wise. And then they will make you glad. And they won't despise, they won't, uh, they won't despise their mother. And they won't be bitterness to her who bore him. Next, there's joy in the sacrificial love of a husband and a wife toward one another. Now, what wife, and this is going to be taking the overall things we've talked about as far as husbands and wives in the Christ-centered home. So what wife wouldn't be joyful 
if she had a husband who was consistently loving and cherishing her sacrificially as Christ loves the church, giving himself up for her. Any hands, not any, any ladies not going to be happy with that, not going to be joyful in that situation, right? What husband wouldn't be joyful to have a wife who was a true helpmate, not contentious, tempting him to live to prefer living on the corner of the roof or in the desert, like Proverbs tells us, instead of with her. Industrious and wise, like the woman described in Proverbs 31, subject to him as commanded in Ephesians 5. What husband is not going to be joyful in that situation? So this is just very practically looking at what the Word says and how that's going to work out in our marriages, in our families. What children wouldn't be joyful to have parents that very evidently love one another, demonstrating sacrificial preference for one another, not merely looking out for their own interests, but the interests of others, regarding the other as more important than themselves. So what children are not going to be joyful in the fact that they have parents that love one another well and sacrificially? Who's, what child is not going to want that? Um, as an aside... Did you guys know that it's more important for children to be assured of their parents' love for one another than it is for them to be assured of the love of a parent for any of the children? A child is more assured of the... They're more secure in a home as they are assured of the parents' love for one another. And the reason why, when you think it through logically, is they, there's consistency. There's, there's a solid foundation there. There's... there's security in knowing that the parents love one another. So, you know, having parents that love one child or the other child are certainly not favoritism. You know, if you have that mix, it's going to cause insecurity. It's going to cause, it's going to cause an un, uh, solid, an, a loose foundation, so to speak, in the home. So does this all, so, you know, we have those things that that we would be joyful in, in, in a wife that's doing what the Bible says about being a wife and a husband doing what he's supposed to be doing as a husband, according to Scripture. But does this all mean that joy is dependent on these circumstances and relationships? Yvonne was waiting for me to get this. No, it doesn't. We, we don't have the option of saying, I'm not going to be joyful because I don't have a wife like that, or I'm not going to be joyful because I don't have a husband like that, or my kids aren't the way they're supposed to be. We can be joyful as we live in God's sovereignty, even in difficult relationships and circumstances. We're just addressing the joy of a Christ-centered home this morning. So that's why we're, we're selling. I'm, I'm selling this to you, okay? As you are doing these things, as you're the husband, you should be biblically. And as you're the wife, you should be biblically. These are the things that make for the joy of a Christ-centered home. All of these practices and attitudes are what happens in a truly Christ-centered home. And it is, or it could be, joyful. And it ought to be. God's will is best for His glory and for our good all the time. Next, there's joy and blessing with a godly father in the home. Proverbs 20, verse 7, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. In Psalm 112, 1 and 2, Praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Fathers, I've said this before, 
and I know last weekend was Mother's Day, and I was supposed to be hammering on the dads and telling the mothers how great they are. But this fathers have an outsized influence in the home. They just do. It's Scripture points right at them when it gives the commands. Fathers, do not provoke your children anger, but bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's directed directly at the fathers. That doesn't mean it doesn't apply to the moms, but it's directed to the fathers in Scripture. Points right at them with the commands regarding training and leading in the home. And experience tells us it's true. And most of you probably can look back and think about the influence of the dad in your families or the dads in other families, and you can see how that influence plays out. And even the secular studies, you know, you hear all the study, the, the statistics, you know, uh, even that show that kids are influenced to a greater degree by the dads. I actually went searching for this because I knew it was out there. And like just from a couple years ago, there was an article in Time Magazine about how dads have such a greater influence in the home. Which means despite all the time and work that moms do for their children, sorry moms, dads have the greater responsibility and accountability. So, but they have the, the greater responsibility and accountability to lead and to, to make sure that, the, that the, the things are happening in the home that should be, that, that the word is being taught there, that the mother has opportunity to do that and has the time and energy to do that. So husbands and dads, we have a great responsibility to make sure that we are stewarding that influence well. But there's joy and blessing with a godly father in the home. Next, there's joy in a husband and wife working together in harmony in the training of the children to love and please God. Now, I don't have a specific scripture for this one. However, if we look at God's promises to Israel in Deuteronomy 11, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, meaning the word should be in front of you and with you all the time, right? So that you can know it and you can learn it. You shall teach them to your sons, talking to them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that your days and the, end, and the days of your sons may be multiplied on land, which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. So these promises are not directly to us. They are made directly to Israel. So we cannot say, okay, I'm going to look at Deuteronomy 11 and I'm going to do these things and God's going to give me the land. That's not, <laughs> they're not directly to us. But in this, we see God's heart for training our children and the blessings that come with that. We can understand God's will for parents to teach their children to do His will. God blesses within obedience, not apart from it. Of course, common sense and experience tells us that when parents are in agreement with God's perfect Word as the authoritative standard... For everyone in the home, having discussed and mutually agreed how to apply the word and planned, remember planned, intentional about parenting, planned for parenting well, there will be harmony and joy in the marriage and parenting relationships. It just is common sense. You have to be on the same page. But as we're on the same page and as we're on the same page, according to God's word and teaching his word and working to do that, then there's going to be joy and harmony in it. Next, there's joy in serving one another overall in the home. 
We see in Psalm 128, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And I'm sure all of you are thinking, I would like my wife to be like a fruitful vine and I'd like my kids to be like olive plants. I'm sure it's really good, whatever it is, but I, I, I don't... I didn't study it, so I'm not going to expand on that. But uh, when everyone is submitting to God's word in the home, regardless of uh, regarding others as more important than themselves, taking on the attitude of Christ and serving rather than seeking to be served, there's going to be joy in the home. When we learn to serve others joyfully, we increase their joy and ours too. You know. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? It's, it's very true. It's, it's sort of a trite statement, but it is true uh, that that's the case. Remember also what we talked about, about actually doing things. You know, acting very often precedes feeling. So when we act loving, when we're giving and serving and sacrificing, we often very soon after feel loving. We very often after that feel like giving and serving and sacrificing. So whether we feel like it or not, remember we talked about 1 Corinthians 13, those things that love is, we're called to do those things, whether we feel like it or not. That's what love is, and that's what we're commanded to do. This is why training kids to do is necessary, whether they feel like it or not. So you want them to do it out of a heart of wanting to obey. You want them to do it out of a heart of wanting to please God. But they're not always going to do that. In fact, they're never going to do that right from the beginning. But as they learn and as they go, we make them or we train them to do what is right. And then the feeling often comes after that. But they need to understand what they are to do that is right and good and pleasing to God. Okay, next, there's joy in pleasant, open, and effective communication in the home. Proverbs 15, 23, a man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. And then that's along with Ephesians 4, 29, right? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment. So give grace to those who hear. So we're trying to edify and give grace and be appropriate in the moment when we're talking to others. And if everybody's doing that in the home, what a joyful place to live, right? Isn't that what causes so many problems in the home is communication? Somebody says something and somebody else takes it the wrong way or in the misunderstandings that come from that or somebody just isn't having a bad day and they just say something that's not edifying to the other person. I mean, those things, communication causes a lot, a lot, a lot of problems in marriages and in families in general. So just getting this down would bring a lot of joy into the home as we honor Christ in our conversation. But this kind of regular conversation in the home is trained and modeled. Children don't naturally do this. They need to see it. They need to have the example of their parents doing these things. They do not naturally speak. Children do not naturally speak in a way that's full of grace, appropriate for the moment, and edifying to others. They generally speak in a way that I want what I want, and you need to give it to me right now. So we need to train that out of them, but we can't just train them. We need to set the example. So we need to be mindful of our communication with one another, husband and wife. Okay, next. 
There's joy in loving as in Christ, uh, Christ, as in Chris's definition of loving. And I don't have this exact because I just typed out the, the gist of it, I'm sure. But it says, to serve in order that others may be more conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what we're doing. As we love others, we are wanting them to be conformed to the image of Christ. What does Scripture tell us uh, brings blessing? Who are the people who are blessed? Who have reason to rejoice and have lasting joy? Well, Psalm 1, we already looked at that. It tells us the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners. But remember, the purpose of meditating on God's Word is not for knowledge only. It's for acting, having the mind renewed. So when the mind's renewed, the resulting actions prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Romans 12, 2 tells us that. And remember, it's not the person who studies the Word and then doesn't obey it that is blessed. It's the person who hears the Word and then does it from James 1. So we are exhorted in many places in the Scripture to have knowledge. We are to love and learn God's Word, says, as I said, Psalm 119. If you need a reminder of how great God's Word is and how we need to know it, read through Psalm 119. Set aside some time to do it, though, because it's like 163 verses or something like that. But knowledge is not useful by itself. In fact, 1 Corinthians 8 tells us, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. So remember that love is serving. Remember, we defined it as love is giving. Love is selfless and not self-serving. And we have joy in being thankful. So imagine, if you will, does anybody know where that comes from? Yeah. Okay. Anybody watch The Twilight Zone? Okay, so here's the thing. I was going to write out this thing that was like copying the Twilight Zone entry, like the, and so I looked it up. But see, you guys didn't know what I was talking about, so this is going to fall flat. But it's not actually what he said. Did you think that's what he said on the show? Imagine, if you will. I thought it was too. It's not what he says. He doesn't actually ever say that. It's like some phenomenon where people remember something that didn't actually happen, like a whole bunch. So anyway... Yeah, really weird, huh? <laughs> okay, so anyway, imagine a home where children are thankful. Hopefully that's not too hard to, rem- to imagine, <laughs> but maybe it is. Uh, where they know that what they enjoy was earned in some way by someone else. They are aware and appreciative of the hard work that dad and mom do to provide. They take notice of all the effort mom puts into making nice meals for them, cleaning their clothes, and picking up everything that they leave around the house. How does this imagined world come into existence? By training and example in the context of serving like Christ, not seeking glory and being served, but serving. Husbands and wives need to regularly hear expressions of gratitude to and for one another. So we need to, as husbands and wives, we need to be communicating our appreciation for our spouse. We need to be appreciating one another verbally to one another and to God for one another, and our kids need to hear us doing that. That's how they learn to be appreciative and thankful. Children need the example of grateful parents expressing appreciation to one another and to God for one another. And 
we're told to be thankful. Not only do we put off anxiety, as we've talked a lot about in this, in this series, but you know, Philippians 4, 6, just a reminder, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And why is that? It's because when we're thankful, when we're considering what God has already done and what we can anticipate that He's going to do in the future, the ways that we are blessed in so many ways, when we're thankful for those things and we consider how good God is to us, it's easier for us to put off that anxiety because we're considering what God, who God is and how He has blessed us. And we can trust in Him to continue to do the same. So what are the deterrents to joy? So as I was studying this yesterday, I got the Chally's, the Daily Chally's email, right? And there was a little quote on there. He has these little quotes sometimes. And it says, the enemy of joy is not suffering, it's idolatry. And that was Matt Papa, which is some music artist, I guess. I don't know. Um, I looked it up this morning. I was like, I don't even know who that guy is. Um, but the quote's good. The enemy of joy is not suffering, it's idolatry. And how do we know that suffering is not the enemy of joy? Well, we see in James 1, 2 through 4, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So within the trials, we can have joy. So we can't say that that's the enemy of joy. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then it goes on to verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. So there's grace in that. There's, there's reward and blessing in persevering through the trial. So, um, so the, the, the trials, the suffering is not the enemy of joy. So what is? It's the idolatry. So what are the idols in, you know, that, that could be a destroyer, in, a destroyer of joy in your home? Well, a ruling desire for the perfect husband or wife, according to our own standards or the Scriptures. We could, we could want what the Scripture tells or what the Scripture commands to ourselves. We could want that to a degree that's, that's a ruling desire. Ruling desire for compliant children. Ruling desire for the perfectly clean and in-order home. Ruling desire for more of anything, you name it. Ruling desire for peace and quiet or some me time. A ruling desire to get our own way. So I was listening to a book recently, Paul David Tripp. I don't even remember what book it was, but he had this, he has this quote. He says, remember the biblical principle of idolatry. Desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. And that's a, I think that's a good, succinct way of thinking about it, that if it's something that rules our thoughts and we are willing to sin to get it, if it's a, even if it's a good thing, it becomes an idolatrous thing. And just to keep that in mind. So I've probably recommended this before, but I'm going to do it again. Um, so you guys, if, some of you know that I really like William Wilberforce. And John Piper did a, he did a biography, this is like 02, and I think the link's on your page, page is there. So just click on the paper and it'll get you there. Um, uh, but he had all kinds of trials. Uh, he, he didn't become a believer until he was like 30-something. And he was independently wealthy, but the first thing that affected him was that he loathed his wealth because he had just squandered years of playing cards and goofing off and just doing stupid stuff. And so he just loathed it. He gave away tons of money after that. 
And, but he had all kinds of trials, super opposition. In his, he was a parliamentarian, and he was fighting for the abolition of the slave trade. And he had massive opposition. And on top of that, he had serious health issues, like on top of health issues, on top of health issues. There's tons. But the thing that stood out about him was his joy. And that's what I would encourage you to listen to that for, because it just talks about how he was joyful throughout all of it. Um, so anyway, just encourage you to listen. It's, about, it's probably about an hour and a half. It's kind of long but, uh, for a message. But. So anyway, I'll leave with that. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. And I do thank you for the joy that you give us in our obedience to you. We thank you for the joy in our salvation, that you have brought us to yourself, that you have... Uh, regenerated us, that you have given us faith in Christ that we uh, might be saved. We thank you for the mystery of your will, that you have provided Christ for us. Only in your mind would this be accomplished, and we thank you so much for it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be mindful, to be good stewards of our homes and our children, and that you would enable us to be joyful and in a way that reflects you well and uh, makes you look good to the world around us, and that you would give us opportunities to, to speak the truth of the gospel into our own kids and into those that we come in contact with in other ways, and that you would um, just cause us to glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.